Hi, this is Alexander Samarlov, Beach Volleyball player from Latvia, and you're listening to A-Space. Not this time! Four match points saved! The captain with another block! Sped inside out to Milovs! Screens another serve! Hello, yes, it's that time of the week again. Welcome to the A-Space. We are back in business once more with another episode of one of the world's best bodybuilders. We just can't help but bring you the best names in the game. Now, I am Louis Letts, and I am today's host on other occasions. We've got Dave Rogers, and we are always joined by one of our CV legends, Matt Rogers. And today, we are with Matt. Matt, welcome back. Hi, hi Louis. Ages. How are you? It's been a while, hasn't it? Yeah, really good. Really good. Excited for this one. The Lion King is one of my favourite movies. <laughs> oh, <he's laughs> one of my favourite beach volleyballers. There you go, we're giving it away. Just so you guys know, these episodes are being recorded remotely due to the current situation. These will be going out alternately with our unscripted and debate series, which come out on a Friday. So we've already called it. We've already had him in before. The Lion King, Alexander Samoyles from Latvia. Welcome back to the A-Space. How are you doing? <laughs> Hello, everybody. <laughs> How do you Thanks do that? Thanks for inviting me. Have you got that one in, in the locker? What, a lion's roar? Yeah, I haven't got it. No, I'm not uh, sure I've got that in the locker. With the kids, I do like trains and cars and boats. That's that's kind of what we're onto at the moment. <laughs> For sure, I'll, I'll keep working on my lines more by um, <laughs> by the summer. Um, so yeah, world junior champion, three-time Olympian. You've done just by a European champion in 2015. And today we're talking about the beach volleyball evolution through the years. So throughout your career, this this game has has surely changed quite a bit, hasn't it, Lion King? Yeah, it's true. Especially, the uh, game became much bigger. So, like, higher height. Like, when I started to play in uh, the profession in 2005, like, Ricardo was a huge guy. Uh, hair and... Um, <laughs> Still yeah, <laughs> so hair was two, two, 204 centimeters. I don't know how much is in feet, and uh, he was like giant. And now we have like ten guys more than uh, two uh, two ten. And uh, if before you know, okay, is this big guy? So probably if he's so tall, he will be bad setter. So we'll serve all he, uh, his partner, or he will be terrible with the float serve. And now these guys, like 210, 214, 216, they have perfect setters. They are coordinated. They have really good passing. And they can do everything. And to play with these guys becomes every year harder and harder and harder because they're so technical, so skilled. And uh, at the same time, when they come to the net, you put like this. And they come and measure net before the game. They're there. So... The place where I have to jump my maximal powers, they're already standing there. <laughs> that's, that's unbelievable. How, how have you had to adapt your game to, to sort of go with these changes? Yeah, so after a few years, I realized that, uh, especially when I started to play with uh, Smedins, so before I realized that it's really hard to play the way I used to play, just to go and spike every second ball. Because I wasn't like a good shooter and uh, I was always like more like powerful volleyball. And uh, 
and that's why I was I was like always hitting a ball and very rare shooting. And uh, just when I realized that okay, these guys become bigger and bigger, and it's harder harder to play against blocks like this. So I understood that okay, I need to develop my shooting skills at the first, and then the second thing I need to develop maybe to play some uh, fast balls to to play my volleyball a little bit uh, to play much faster. But that uh, in, when it's, we came together with Yanis. Uh, the first thing my father, who, is, who was a coach of our team, he said, like, first thing, we need to start doing finger set. Because before we were doing only bump set. Like all Latin players, they were always doing a bump set. And once I asked uh, Estonian players who was uh, fifth in the world ranking by the, when we just started, uh, Kais Vesik, I asked why you're bump setting. And they said, but look, even Emmanuel is bump setting always. Mm-hmm. Because... If the, the game is so even in beach volleyball, so one, one point can be a decider. If it's 21-19 or it's 19-21. So if you risk, if your finger set is not 100% uh, perfect, then every time you set, you risk to make a mistake and you may make one mistake and you lose this point, it can be crucial. So until the moment you don't have perfect finger set, do bump setting. But, but uh, hand setting has so many advantages to it. Yeah, that's true. And this is the first thing my father said when we came together with Yanis. He said, like, I want to develop, I want you to do finger set. And not only finger set, I want we play fast balls set behind, and I want we do jump set. Yeah. And for us, was like we, like all our like first, how many, like, uh, we started in 2012, so seven years of our careers, we were only bump setting. And now my father wants us to make a finger set. And then every day, we did every day like thousands of settings. We had heavy ball for setters that is uh, two or three times heavier than regular ball. So we do like 20 times re- heavy ball, 20 times regular set. 20 times heavy ball, 20 times regular. 20 times fast with heavy ball, 20 with rail. And every day I was like, after two months in training camp in Egypt, I was like, oh, please no setting anymore. <laughs> and when we started to have really good finger set, we started to do uh, jump setting. Like like hundreds, thousands of repetition jump setting, doing like repeat, repeat, hundred times. First uh, session starts with uh, setting, finish with, set, uh, with setting. Second oh, session, setting and then so on. How, how did that develop your game? How do you feel you improved with that change? Yeah, so uh, we, first of all, we start to play faster. And it means like all these big guys, all these blockers, they're not like sit and jump maximal. So we would develop, we started to attack a lot of second balls in 2013 we, because most of the players started serving me. And if I play seven games in a tournament and all the time, and we also split blocking, so every time if I serving, uh, jumping and serving, jumping every attack and blocking jumping, so I can say bye-bye to my knees in uh, one month. And uh, so it was really good for me that I can receive and second. So we were developing a lot of reception on second ball because when you're attacking second ball, you're attacking mostly without a block. Yeah. So it's easy if you're athletic like Yanis, he's super athletic. So for him, it was big advantage if he was attacking. It was, uh, Without a block, or I have attack 
against uh, Evandro or Dahlhauser. <laughs> so it was a big difference. So we were developing these uh, second balls a lot. And uh, then we put extra jump set. So we like perfect how it should be. Like every attack should be without a block. <laughs> like in effect, uh, like what my father said, like perfect. If we're attacking, we score 21 points. We score all the balls without the block. So you receive. Has, has, has that happened? That's a tough one. You like should, it's like, but it's like Karish Karai said, I like when he won everything. Like people were asking, like, what? Uh, how you get motivation to? Said like, I ne I never won 15. Zero, fifteen, like all old school rules. Fifteen, zero, fifteen, zero. I never won, so I always have a place to improve. So, <laughs> so it's, it's always, like, there's always an avenue to get better. Yeah. So, like the perfect is you receive on second, Yanis attack uh, without the block, or if a block jump on him, he shows that he is attacking, and at the same time he turns and make a jump send, and I'm attacking without the block, and actually it's happening pretty often. Sounds yeah. like a dream for you, Louis, doesn't it? Attacking with no block. Yeah, I wish I just the, the less I would ever have to spike, the better. <laughs> every every rally is a mega rally with me on the. I, I have a question around the finger setting. When when you started to do more and more finger setting in the tournaments and stuff, did you find that it increased the pressure as you got towards the end of a set? Because obviously, at twenty twenty to finger set, you are taking that risk, as you said. Did you do you think the number of finger sets went down as you went towards an end of a set, or? fairly stable for me it was i think because we did so so many repetition that it went like so automatically and i felt so confident about it because i said like okay i did it ten thousand times and i know it's it's perfect i did it uh one week before i did all the week i was doing the set and i didn't had any mistake so why should i have mistake now during the game for sure maybe at the beginning it was a little bit not confident maybe some super spinny balls or when it was raining i was like uh oh no okay bump set <laughs> but then my father said like what are you doing like oh, no don't don't do bumps continue with the finger set he said like okay do a mistake but do it confidently <laughs> not like and not, not to choose finger or, or bump i have to i have to say though sometimes players make it too easy for referees don't they because they, they'll do the action and instantly they know it wasn't perfect and they'll kind of like wait for the, the referee Whereas if you do it confidently, there's a chance they just let it go. Yeah. Yeah, but it was good, like uh, that uh, we we started to do, and that year it wasn't that strict, like it was 15, 16. I think 15, 16 was super strict, and now they get, came back to like it was 2013, so it was like not super strict because I think 15, 2015, 2016, it was like minimum rotation was double yeah, touch. I remember it. Like, do you think do you think the game in your opinion is better when it's less strict than than when it's really strict yeah for sure especially with a finger set because most of the people who are not deep into beach volleyball like for example okay i come with my girlfriend uh, to beach volleyball i'm a fan of beach volleyball and i take my uh, girlfriend to to the game i explain the rules and then referee whistles and uh, half of the stadium looking and yeah no no, happened? no like yeah why why is it whistle what's happened so it's it's a little bit this rule is like people don't understand like what's happened what what's the difference between mistake and not a mistake it's hard for people who are not deep in the beach volleyball to understand what's uh, even like play, uh, players in my beach box camps they ask what is the uh, where is this place between lift 
and double touch. I said, like, it's, it's always a referee decision. <laughs> it's hard to explain. Because it's, it's one of the more subjective ones, isn't it? And beach probably has less than volleyball in, in terms of those subjective decisions. So, yeah, I can understand it's difficult. As a player, how, do you, how did you deal with it when there was a referee decision on one of your handling things that you didn't agree with? What, what can you do? You can just get... Uh, uh, especially now. I, I, I told I, I already a story from... Um, in previous episode about uh, my experience with this co-referee co uh, when the players are talking with the referee because back in the days, like 10 years ago, like 15, uh, it was allowed to speak with the referee and pretty long and argue. And it was, I know a lot of players like Mark Hees and Hoydalen from Norway, already they finished, but they were able to change so many referee decisions just because they were so good uh, in talking they knew rules so good that there was like experience talking and talking and then in one moment referee realized that oh i'm wrong i'm completely wrong because <laughs> so all the time like explaining and talking and talking now nowadays you just come to the referee whistle go say second word yellow card one more word, red card. <laughs> so no discussions, no, no discussion. About, okay, if you're if you're a player like uh, experienced players, when you know this referees, because also we're like one family, and the same referees we go to one, from one world tour to another, and uh, that way they know us also personally, and so it's easier for us maybe to to ask for explanation or to ask and check a ball mark. When you're a young player nowadays, you ask for a ball mark. No, I made a decision. You ask to explain you something, yellow card, go back <laughs> on court. <laughs> it's super strange. Take it and move on. Well, all of that is based on speed, isn't it? They want the games to be fast. That, that's the yeah, whole idea to remove yeah, the, the dead it's, time. It's, it's all about television. Yeah. It's all about television yeah. and speed up. No, I completely understand. So and also. So Twelve seconds. There's a commentator. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's less time to uh, to fill the gaps. Yeah, for yeah. like more action. I, I remember. So following sport for a long time, I would I would look at the Australians, uh, like Shoggy and um, Josh Shockslock. Like moving yeah. the ball wide, and everyone was like, "Whoa, look, they they play they they play dangerously, or they play on the edge, and they move the blocker." I then feel that you guys were one of the teams. Um, hence, this is one of the subjects to to move the game forward again, and then Cantor Wojciech taking it forward yeah. as well a little bit. And did you feel you guys moving it on? The world have gone wow. And now it's going to start to go again to another level and, and to new things? For sure. For sure it is. And uh, yeah, I remember when we started to do this, all this. But uh, with Australia and Sharks Luck, when they first, yeah, when I started to play Beach Wall, they was like, wow, they were doing all the time. Just, what the difference is, was, what I don't understand. Like Shark, he was jumping like kangaroo. Like I remember I was, uh, there was a picture, he's jumping like the same pictures now we have of Mall. Like this crazy, unbelievable, like net over here, and he's just over uh, more than head. Like his neck is over the net. Yeah. Like for indoor, it's normal, but for beach volleyball, it's not normal when he's jumping from uh, from the sand. And he was ju making jump set in any place of a court, even if uh, reception on the back of a court, he still was jumping and setting. 
but I don't understand he wasn't hitting a lot on two. So he was jump setting to make it a little bit to speed up, but still he was jump setting and still giving high ball. And, and I was looking ball. at him like, what, what, what's the sense for a jump setting if you're still giving a high set or you're not attacking second balls? It doesn't make sense. But I really like it stayed on my mind about this and it stayed in my in head of my father said, this jump setting, actually we can use it for, uh, to develop our game. And because we are pretty small for uh, beach volleyball, this we decided to use this as a weapon. And the next level is uh, what uh, Karambula Rossi did last year. And that's, that, that leads forward to, to a future question in a moment, because you've, you've now started being coached by Marco Salustri, which yeah. obviously shows your intent to change your game and to work big angles and to run fast plays. And yeah, how's that going? Like, do you feel, A, how, sorry, hey, the first question, how was it leaving being coached by your father, who's obviously brought the game and your game forward so much, but B, how is it going into playing with Karambula Rossi and their extravagant way of playing? And why did you pick Marco Salustri? So uh, when I started to play with Yanis and we started to do this jump set and attacking second balls and uh, it was in 2000, uh, 2013. But then after like a few years, we'll, we lost a little bit our style. We started to play more just a regular ball. Okay, we're attacking, uh, uh, attacking second ball, especially when it was a short serve. But we are not using it uh, the same way where we did it in 2013, 2014. And maybe that's why we also drop in the ranking. And uh, and I think because my father, he's now in Latvia, he's the only coach in beach volleyball. He has so much team, like all top teams now. He's coached by all top teams. And I felt a little bit that he's not too much into our team anymore. And already, I'm already mm, well, like 19 years I'm coached by him. And I never was coached by any other coach in beach volleyball. So I think like, okay, uh, I, I don't want to celebrate 20 years anniversary with the same coach. And I said like, I feel like I need new look on me, new look on our team so we can move uh, forward because uh, last season was, uh, beginning of a season was terrible for our team. And we, we felt that a little bit like our coach is a little bit away from our team and we just, me and Yanis, and we started to have like small conflicts with each other. And we felt that we need to uh, to bring fresh blood into our team. And so we were looking uh, to the to the coaches around World Tour and we were looking for a coach that we knew we, we're going to have a respect because it was really important for us that we really respect the coach that is really high level and uh, that also, we know from many teams and who have results. And I knew, know Marco since he was working with the Russian team, Barsuk Kaladinsky, in uh, 2007, 2008. And because we were practicing together with them and uh, they were always beating me really hard. So, and they were always playing completely different and they were always playing against me uncomfortable way. Like I play with the teams and then every time I was playing against Russia, I felt they play completely different and very uncomfortable for me. So I understand it's, so I understood that it's really good. They have really good scouting of me. And uh, that's why Marco was always in my mind. And 
before Moscow, we came and we asked him if, uh, if he is ready to work with us. And also we needed a coach who is not connected to national team because it was already in the middle of Olympic qualification and uh, we needed a coach who is, how to say, freelancer. <laughs> okay, just uh, decide on his own because we have uh, our federation, unfortunately, don't have funds to support us. So we are owned by our own. So by uh, on and uh, coaches uh, on our sponsors and our own money. So for us, it was important to have a coach who is a freelancer. So it's easier to communicate and he's not have to deal with uh, his federation. So Marco was our first pick. We had few more, but uh, Marco agreed. And we are really, I'm really good friend with um, Adrian Karambula. I, we were good friends with the team uh, Rangeri Karambula, but um, unfortunately they split. They had a conflict, but still I have really good relationship with both of them. Uh, and uh, that's why, yeah. So it was good also for Karambula. I asked like, we can have really good sparring with each other. and. Uh, uh, practice together and reduce our costs. So I think uh, all three parts are win-win situation. How did that conversation go down with your dad? Is it something that you brought up, I'm assuming, based on what you said? How, how was it received? So, yeah, actually it was, um, it was, I had three really complicated conversations in my life. So first was in 2008 when I, um, came to my father when he had a con I, we talked about this in a previous episode that uh, when we split with Plavins but our Olympic Latvian Olympic committee said in 2008 they said you have to stay till Olympics and you have to try to qualify to Olympics so the de decision was of Olympic committee and federation and Plavins and me that we bring another coach we bring a coach assistant into our team and uh and it was the first talk and everybody said, okay, Alex, and go and talk with your, with your father about this. And I said like, okay. <laughs> because everybody was afraid because my father, he's really, really dominating and the Federation afraid of him and nobody wanted to talk with him. And uh, so I said, okay, you need to talk with him. So it was the first conversation I came to him and I said that we need another, uh, one more coach and... Uh, Stuff like this. So it was the first conversation. Second was when I proposed my wife. So it was another <laughs> completely different type stressful, of conversation. <laughs> stressful conversation because I wasn't sure if to say yes or no. <laughs> and the third one was um, again with my father about uh, that uh, I am leaving. <laughs> and um, yeah, I, I think he still he still can uh, forgive me this and uh, but we in, in a good relationship and um, but he still he, he thinks that uh, I will come back he said okay <laughs> it's, it's just a short period of time we will see but he's still but, supporting you right and he's still he's still like so supporting yeah, yeah he's still supporting he's still sending me messages and uh, he's uh, he's like now he's inviting me he's saying like come to practice anytime you want uh, with us and because we're now we are sep uh, practicing separately and um, that way, no, we have a really good relationship and he's waiting. He said like, in the moment Yanis will finish, you're always welcome to play with your brother. I will be coach, um, coached by that's, me. That's one of the questions I've got here later on. Samoilovs, Samoilovs, Samoilovs. 
Maybe it will happen with my kids. <laughs> yeah, you are beach volleyball in Latvia. That's that's for sure. The Samoilos, Samoilos family. Um, how's it how's it going with Marco? Are you enjoying it? Yeah, we really enjoy. Yeah, and uh, he brings uh, like we're putting our fast game on the next level. Like mm -hmm. we really develop because Marco really wants us to do like like I told you before, like 21 points without a block. And he wants us that we are not using just half of a court for one player. We he said that we need to use all courts. So a lot of setting behind and faking and the maximum effect. like every move should be fake. Like you shouldn't be like standard move. Like you need to try every set. You try you need to try to make a uh, fake like attack second pokey, just uh, set behind uh, or throw the ball over the net. Like every move, move should be fake. This is the only way how we can uh, play against uh, blockers like Tolles, Tainovsky or Mo. I, I think that the game is becoming more and more like indoor, like the second. And I've always thought this, like, did you ever find, like, you're trying to run the two ball, uh, like uh, indoor team for people who love both on here, like myself, like, like they run the middle. Because in the indoor volleyball, you run the middle and the middle blocker stays and you hold the middle. And then it's easier for the wing spikers. It's exactly the same running the two ball on the beach. If you can hold the block yep. at one minute, it becomes easier to side up. Like it's, it's a very similar game. Um, for me, have you ever found, is there anything that really makes it difficult to run the fast game? Like, is there anything that you're just like, ah, that, that stops you running the game that you want to play? For sure, uh, weather condition. Mm -hmm. It's uh, weather condition always affecting beach volleyball game. It's a big difference comparing with indoor volleyball because you can make a plan for the game and then it comes it's a crazy wind and all your plan is just throw it. <laughs> <laughs> or uh, you can see, okay, we do setting, like all this jump setting and you play in a heavy rain and you can forget about finger set and uh, you need to start uh, bump setting and all again all what you did in off season <laughs> so, so that, it's sort of linking to my next question is like where is the balance between moving this game forward and actually being like whoa, 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 whoa hang on this is not achievable today like there, there's a there's a balance right there, it, it can't be yeah what it's uh What's also, it's another thing that what my father always said, my, my father was always against scouting. He was also saying that we shouldn't scout opponents, we need to scout ourselves and we need to develop our skills. And he said like, I always want you to be like jazz players, not like classical player, uh, music player. Like you get a note and you play by notes. No, I want you to be like a jazz player. We just say you a topic and you can play this music. So the same beach volleyball, I wanted to teach everything in beach volleyball so that you can do everything, that you can do float, jump, uh, jump, float. You play defense for strong balls. You can play defense with the fingers. You can block, you can attack, you can uh, make a shot, bulky, like all different movements in beach volleyball. You know how to do it and you use them so as more weapons you have as more developed uh, athletes you are and the more you can adapt so it's not like oh, okay it's wind so i don't know how to play in the wind oh it's uh, it's raining so we, we don't have chance to win or so you uh, 
you adapt to the opponents and you adapt to the situation you are in the court. Yeah, I think it's it'd just be refreshing for yeah for our listeners to know that like if they're running all this, there's a time where you can't keep running fast and wide and and it doesn't fit the it doesn't fit anymore because of the conditions or the however the opponents are playing or, or etc. So. But I think this like win win conditions always is bigger advantage for a smaller player who have better better ball control because in this case when it's windy then all uh, players become the same height and all these big big players they, because they not so coordinated they don't have such a perfect ball control so in this case small players they have more chances to win. Are you telling me that that's, uh, I've got to try and find somewhere really windy and then I can, yeah. I can come back? <laughs> so, Marseille, back in the days, Marseille would be your favorite tournament. <laughs> yeah, Marseille would be great. Yeah. I might have, I might be able to, to, to keep going somehow. The only time in my life a tournament was canceled because the wind was in Marseille. I experienced that we played on a center court and I think uh, how the Rogers played. And the one stand of a flag, the wind was so strong that it just broke and like a javelin just hit the sand. And the yeah. referee just looked at this and said, and they canceled for two days, they canceled a uh, tournament. We were sitting in a five-star hotel just eating and <laughs> not practicing. <laughs> and I have a, I have a conversation about quarantine, about being like eating, overeating in quarantine. Um, I have a question on weather. Let's say that you're in the Olympic final in Tokyo and you could choose the weather. What would you want? Uh, with wind uh, hot and windy. Hot and windy. I guess it would also depend on your opponent as well, wouldn't it? Because you wouldn't want an opponent that had no, those strengths. So I, I don't care. I don't care. Hot and windy. Hot it's and best windy. Best condition for me. Okay. Hot and windy. I wouldn't have expected the wind, but okay. Why? And why? I and then I choose. And if I choose one, I choose windy. Really? Yeah. Is, is, there is that? I was going to say, is that, is that a trust in your own um, adaptability to wind versus other players? Because, because it's, it's pretty windy oh. in Yurmala, in <laughs> yeah, my hometown <laughs> where I grew up. It's pretty windy. So, like, since my first steps in Bishwalba, I was practicing in the wind. So, I feel pretty, I, I feel wind pretty good. And uh, I did for three, me and Yanis, we, for three years, we were doing windsurfing during our camps in uh, Bishwalba. So it's also give you extra understanding of the wind. And so uh, windsurfing was really good experience for me. And uh, so we feel pretty good wind. I went to uh, Yamala for the, uh, for the under 23s or the, the, yeah, the under 22s, Europeans. Yeah, yeah. And it, it was pretty windy over that time. Yeah, very windy. yeah my brother won. Yeah, he, he, <laughs> yeah, he, he definitely did. He, yeah, he was awesome. There were some very good games. I lost my um, voice during this tournament. <laughs> it was a it was a great tournament, great place to great place for beach volleyball. Like perfect. Do do you have it a supposed it's supposed to be world tour uh, last week? In uh, yeah, of course. Do do you have a family WhatsApp group just out of interest with your brother and yes. your dad? Do you have yeah, a separate one? Family, family. Separate one for non beach volleyball stuff, or do you just mix it all in? Um. Because we have actually this uh, this group was developed when we got married with uh, with my wife, so we have family group with her family and my family all together. Yeah. First of all, we started because of like family dinners when we started that's, to have. That's always good. But because all my family is like so deep into beach volleyball, 
So uh, that's why like Beach Volleyball becomes a little bit part of it. But still, we have a team chat. So yeah. team chat is like only about pre- training sessions and like competition and stuff. And family, it's most just yeah. So you do keep it separate just, a session a bit. Yeah. yeah. Louis, can we go a bit more general? I've got, I've got a bit, bit more general about the sport as a whole. So I'm I'm interested in your your view on beach volleyball's position in like the global sporting context. Like when you say to someone, "I'm a beach volleyball player," what kind of reaction okay. do you generally get if they don't follow the sport? First of all, there are people. Uh, now it's a little bit different. I would say like 15 years ago, when we all started, like everybody was uh, surprised that it's Olympic sport. Like, oh, it's Olympic sport. <laughs> and uh, so always, uh, like when you say, and they always surprised that you're only two people because most of like, uh, also all of them know beach, uh, like indoor volleyball and then beach volleyball for them are like, ah, oh, only two people. And uh, so they're surprised. And uh, yeah, so the, the most two things are uh, surprising for them. Because when you get to the Olympics, it goes massive, doesn't it, beach volleyball? I mean, like yeah, I, I followed. It's all popular now. and... Yeah, I followed four Olympic Games and it's always one of the, the kind of the hot tickets, the one that everyone wants to be at um, because of the atmosphere, the environment, the setting yeah, and, and the amazing. sport. And what, what um, athletes in Beijing when I first qualified, like other athletes from our team, they were surprised and said like, it's so good that you sit so close to the stadium, like to, to the court. Because and so like in um, basketball, for example, or uh, in uh, indoor volleyball, because of these rules, like how far away should be, like there is a place uh, for a court after the court and the banner and then after banner and some extra space and then the seats. And you're like, even if you're in the first row, you are sitting you're like 20 meters from a court. But in beach volleyball, it feels like stands a little bit higher and it feels like you are sitting just next to the court. It's really good, I think. With, for example, like NBA, when they have this chair, for sure, for athletes, it's a little bit more uh, like dangerous to get injuries when you jump for the ball. You're still in the, <laughs> on the spectators. But uh, for the atmosphere, you're closer to, to, to the court, to the action. And the same for athletes. You're playing and you're surrounded with the people. You are inside the crowd. So, yeah, atmosphere is number one thing. And how does your life change? I mean, we talked there briefly about how the Olympics is so big in, in the beach volleyball cycle. How does your life change as an athlete in an Olympic year, especially obviously qualifying and then preparing to go? Most of the media changes the most <laughs> because uh, uh, usually like Olympics is a sport event when uh, people who are not into sports start following. And uh, that's why... and. Uh, brings a lot of media attention and a lot of interviews and also our sponsors they have like double of um, media events and uh, so it takes much more time for us uh, it takes a lot of free time for uh, media events so some players are good for uh, with it and some really suffer i know do you like it yeah you don't mind it you accept it part of the part uh, of the job yeah i, I don't mind uh, it would be really bad if I say, no, 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 it's, it's really bad. <laughs> on the third episode, yeah. <laughs> on the third episode. <laughs> I think you have a good career in it lined up after whenever you finish playing. And we talked about in the previous episode about what should you do. We never even talked about the media. You'd be great. It'd be perfect. So we'll see. Have you ever done any co-commentary or anything? We tried the King of a Court 
uh, we had this King of Court event and uh, in Huntington, they, they tried to do, uh, to do, but actually it's really hard. It's, really, it's easy to answer question when you know what, uh, what to answer and uh, it's much harder to ask people because especially people you don't know. Okay, for sure, and I believe when uh, on your level you you you're preparing, you investigate, you get some information, and maybe it's easier. But for us, they just said, okay, go and uh, ask questions. And okay, I can ask questions for men, but when they send me for female players, and it's like, uh, what should I ask? <laughs> I don't know them personally a lot. <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. Like it's. I think the topic, like the, the thing is, is the longer you do something, like you know, it, the easier it gets, and the more, like I've taken a lot more pride over the years of like preparing and writing a great intro, or writing some great fillers in between that are adaptable, and then getting to know, like even just by having this conversation, like for sure now it's, yeah, it's. So that so the next time you do commentary on uh, on the um, team, you're going to be. Remembering yeah. this. <laughs> well, he told me once. Yeah, so there's now uh, will uh, he, he now he wants me to play in the medal matches, so he, he has a lot of content to tell. Yeah, yeah I do. But if you don't make the medal matches, then you're going to come and sit sit with me as well. Who, just a quick question for me: Out of world volleyball, who do you think the main contributors are to to, to volleyball history? So you would look through, like I, I would say Sinjin. You would say Karch. Like, who do you think is going to be those people throughout the years? I would say Ricardo. So Ricardo, Ricardo was uh, the most uh, inspirational player for me when I was a kid. When I first started to watch beach volleyball on television, and at first I saw his game, and I think he played. It was a game when he was he played uh, with uh, Zemarco and Blaiola, uh, and, and uh, I watched and I was like. I was already playing beach volleyball and look at these games and say like unbelievable how he's playing and how good he was consistently for so many years being a Brazilian where they have so strong inside competition. Mm -hmm. He managed to be number one for 15 years in Brazil. And uh, yeah, so I think he, he made into like a lot of, he was really inspirational uh, person. Uh, and uh, I think uh, Brothers Lasigas. Mm -hmm. from Switzerland so they were uh, the first from Europe like playing really good on a really high, high level and they were the first team uh, playing on a high level from uh, a country that uh, that are not like regular for beach wall but it's not like Brazil or USA so I think and uh, so for me they when I started to play so these guys are also okay, oh, okay. even European like European team who have four months a year, summer, so they can still be and play on the highest level and get medals. I didn't even think, I didn't think of them as being contributors. And, and future, and future, like who's now? Would you say you guys, I would say, I would put you guys in that list from, from Europe of people contributing to the sport and, and driving it forward through periods of time. Thank you. <laughs> For sure, like I would say, if you're putting the, the, the Laskers in there, I would put you in there. I would put Paolo Nikolai Limpo in there. Um, I would have Big Recommend in there, and I would have the, the Vikings and the Russians in there as well. Yeah, well, I think they're amazing. definitely the future, aren't they? That, you know, definitely, definitely. Vikings and amazing. Like first thing that people were asking me about about Mall, like uh, what's the key of success? 
And uh, I said, like, when I first met him, because he was, he's the same age as my brother. So my, my father came from under 18. So it was like how old is it? 23, so five years ago, my father came from under 18 European Championship. I said, there is one guy. He was 17 that, that year. So my father came and said, there is one guy with super explosive muscles. So he's jumping like crazy. And uh, he said, like, he probably will be a really, really good player and he'll play on a really high level. And my brother, three years in a row, he lost to Mall in an underage <laughs> tournament. So for him, it was like every time he gets, he's like, ah. Uh, yeah. And it proves and, your dad does like scouting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, he's not doing like scouting and uh, drawing, no, no. but he's, he's like X ray. Actually, what is the best thing about my father is that he's acting like an X ray. He's really scanning, really good scanning players. Yeah. And uh, when I first met Maul, and uh, I said, oh, yeah, I know my, my brother playing against you, blah, blah, blah. And I uh, said, yeah, yeah, I want to play against you as well. I want to beat you as well as your uh, brother. And the first uh, thing that when I was talking to him, he was 20 years old. I was uh, 32. The first difference, because I know my brother, I know his friends, like uh, this, uh, this uh, generation, how they're talking, how they're acting. And the difference was when I was talking with the mall, maybe it's because of his older brother or stuff. I talked to him. And I don't feel that I'm talking to the kid. I'm, I feel that I'm talking with a 30 years old man. Like yeah. how he's like his mentality maturity, and yeah. Yeah, maturity and all how he's seeing the game, how he's seeing the sport. And this is really like surprised me. Like, and I saw like, wow, this guy can be strong. And when they, they started to play main draw and they lost in the quarterfinal, this I heard from another uh, from Swiss girls that they came and the mall came and said like I want to get medals now so he was 21 I was thinking when I was 21 I was back in the day I was thinking I was thinking about to qualify for Olympics to qualify for a main draw but in the year of 21 he thinking no he's not satisfied he said it he wants a medal now because everybody's saying Okay, you have a bright future. In the future, everything will be just... I said, no, 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 I want it now. I don't want to be in the future for what now. And I think this also, like, that's how he affected also Sorum. And this is how they become, like, successful now. In 22 years old, uh, winning European Championship and getting winning 10 tournaments out of 12. That leads us wonderfully to our feature, doesn't it? Yeah, sure. Our final feature is your perfect player. So, Matt, you, you know this off by heart. My perfect player. So, okay, so this is your perfect player. What we are looking for you to do is to build the player that could win in any game, any environment, any weather, based on our discussion. Um, so, yeah, you can have six, seven criteria. Um, tell us the criteria and then tell us the player that you, you want to take that attribute from. Go for it. Yeah, so first I would say athleticism, it's small because uh, he's super athletic, how he's jumping, his muscle, how he works, he's very fast on court and uh, I really like how he's coordinated. Yeah, you can see there's a lot of moments like highlights when the ball in, in a very uncomfortable condition and he still, he's managed to turn and hit with the head, with the shoulder, with the, 
leg and uh, so really good coordination and so I think he's as an athlete he's the number one in the beach volleyball world right now so uh, then I choose uh, block like block I put uh, Ricardo and uh, as I mentioned before he's dominating he was dominating with a block so many years and because not also because he's so tall because if you look now like so many players who are like 15 centimeters taller than him but how he's reading uh, how he's reading opponents and the best how he's doing all these movements like when he's in the air how he's moving his hands because most of if you look like most of the players they just go and put the uh, hands on the opponent side, but Ricardo and the same mall is also doing a lot of pretty. So he's ju jumping and in the moment of attack, he's moving almost every second time he's moving. And even time I've seen that he moves to one side and in the last moment he turns to the other side. So his block is really, really amazing. Actually, I was thinking like it would be a dream maybe to to have some block sessions but by ricardo <laughs> to get some <laughs> some experience <laughs> maybe maybe you can get him on the beach box camp i invited him already but he didn't answer he texted uh, hardly and said hey they invited me what should i do <laughs> i think because of his english he's a little bit and he's really shy I played with him uh, P4 in that was king of a court last year. And we, we played with him in the final stage. And it was such a huge pleasure for me to play with him. And uh, it was, I felt like uh, back in the days when I was 15 years old guy and I was watching him on TV. And then and now I play with him in one team. And it was an amazing feeling. Like <laughs> I'm a professional athlete achieving so much. And I still feel like a kid. I was so stressful when we started to play. And I was stressful to make a mistake. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Okay, third okay, next criteria. Next one, I would say uh, serve. Serve, the best serve, Evandra. For sure, he's dominating. And it's, it's not only about his uh, serve power, but I really like his placement, how precise he is with the serve. Not his, for example, we can say like uh, Nikolai, he's also have really, really strong serve. He, he now he's uh, he owns a faster surf and beach volleyball, but Evander is amazing with how he's putting. You can so many moments when he said three surfs, three aces in a row, left side, middle, right side. So all the different points. And another thing is what I like about Evandro. Actually, I don't like when he plays against me, but uh, what. If I look at him as a player, that he's really good server in the crucial moments. In Vienna World Championship, he won so many games at the end just with the serve. That in the crucial moment, when they're down one or two points, he's putting his best serve. So he's really good with this, with the crucial moment to put the uh, most important serve. The next one is uh, Sorum with a side out. When two years ago, the Vikings start to win everything and uh, we have at the end of the year we have a voting when the players uh, officials coaches are voting for best uh, players and there are different nominations and I look at the results and I was like how it can be possible that Mol get the best attacker if Sorum gets 80 90 percent of all serves 
and they're winning medals and get 90% of a serve <laughs> and see, and uh, he's not getting best attacker. It's, yeah. it's not fair. And I, look, he's a little bit uh, underestimated, uh, underrated about his uh, side-out skills. Because the, the way how he see blocker and defender is amazing. You can make a fakes, you can hide, but he sees so good. And it's so hard to play defense against him. He's amazing with side out. He's not the best spiker or the best shooter, but all in general, when you put him like a, a side out, he's really, really good. Yeah. He, his, his vision is, is unreal. And his decision making from wherever he is on the net, he, he makes really good percentage decisions. Like all the time, yeah. he knows his percentages and he knows his, uh, his options. Um, who's next? Defense. Is it defense? Defense. Can you guess? <laughs> Lewis, what's your pick for defense? Oh, great question. Oh, oh, oh. Uh, like I would look at transitions. So I would, I would look at who kills the most balls in transition. Um, in transition is Casey Patterson. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's the best in transition. Um, yeah, he's really good in transition. <laughs> he's not that good in defense, but how, how good he can spike from two, three meters because he's tall and his wrists were so good. He was really good. But my pick is Guto. You're not the first to pick Guto. Yeah, Guto, like, he's so explosive. In the, and the, his dedication in the defense. Like, we played against him in the final in Espino. And after first set, we won. We sit. And Yanis said, if I will fall in the defense so much times at Guto, you would take me to the ambulance. Because <laughs> <laughs> he's running like crazy and jumping for you feel like it's impossible to get the ball, but he's always jumping and running and trying to get and his dedication, like really he tries to get every second ball and always going always sandy from <laughs> from toes still his ears and uh, like I really like how he plays in the defense and his reaction. And his okay, maybe his transition not that good after it, but he managed to get one uh, one ball after our. Yeah, it'd be him. T Taylor Crab would be would be almost there, and that would be yeah. I don't know who I like. I would say Taylor Crab have a better reaction for uh, strong spikes because uh, Taylor Crab is have amazing reaction. Like every everything you hit around this area, almost every ball he gets. But uh, Taylor Cup is not running that much as Guda. Like Taylor is running for the balls he really gets. Yeah. So it's very rare you see him uh, running for balls he's not getting. So who's, who's next? So next is ball control, Adrian Karambula. So these guys have amazing ball control. Like we put this guy also in the windy condition. Like when the wind, how he, he works with the wind, how he uses the wind. All his spins inside the wind, outside the wind from both sides. And this guy with his, uh, with, he's not tall. He, he always have extra weight, but the man can play on the highest level because of his ball control. How he's controlling, you probably for sure you've seen his uh, sky balls during the rallies. When the ball after defense gets and during the game, he just uh, serves a sky ball. How he's uh, putting with all his balls, hands and foggy and shots. Like his ball is amazing. He's, and we are practicing with him and 
sometimes it's so fun to see how he's playing with the ball and just sitting and spinning a ball with a it's really really amazing we did an unscripted with him actually and um obviously the sky ball came up and he mentioned training does he do the sky ball in training is, is it just like a not, the same as often. a match okay not often and because uh, this is also the way that uh, you probably have seen you can watch him that really clever he's do like during warm-up when he serve uh, sky ball you will never be able to try to receive this ball it was always he asked his partner to go and catch a ball or he asked his coach to go and catch a ball so because sky ball it's uh, when you use this, it's easy to receive serve. Yeah. Even you can maybe give one second. But usually the weapon is first like three, four, five serves, especially first ones. Uh, probably if you first time receiving the sky ball, it's like ninety percent you will make a mistake. Take some time if you don't know if you don't know the physics of how ball is moving. Yeah. Because if you just look, if you're a regular spectator, for you it just feels okay. Just go up really high and just go down. But people don't understand, uh, they don't know about magnum effect that in physics, because of a top spin ball is going not straight down, but because it goes down and in the last moment it goes under the net. So it goes inside because of a yeah. magnum, so-called magnum effect, different pressure in the, in the air and the ball. And uh, so first things are really, and that's why I think because we had, as a team during training process, but at the same time, we are competitors, and uh, yeah. one day we meet on the, on the, on the court. But sometimes he started when it's strong wind, he serves, and he just make a fun yeah. because he serves, and when it's strong wind, it's really hard to receive, and he's just making laugh on uh, about us, surf, and see if we struggle a little bit with the reception. He's when we practice in Rome. When we practice in Rome, people are just coming just to come to watch practice because it's so much fun like with all our combination and fastballs yeah. we practice and trash talk we have during training people just come they take their drinks and they sit and watch our games and, and our practice oh, it's worth a watch I, yeah i i think i'm gonna be one of those guys on tour but i'm never there on the practice days um you, how old so we've got karen Bruno as ball control Is that, that's uh, so we have ricardo block uh, Atleticism, Mom, Evandro Surf, Sorum Side Out, Guto Defense. And I have number seven that is uh, communication with a partner. And uh, this is uh, Jay Gibb. I knew that was going to come. I was about to say Jay Gibb. I was like, I was uh, Jay Gibb, because I wonder, like, because Jay Gibb, if you look at the Jay Gibb, he's not super tall. His block is not really like. Amazing. He's not like Dalhauser, the first thing that comes into your mind. He's side out. He's like, everybody knows that uh, Jake have only three options for side out. <laughs> he's using it the perfect way. So his ball control is okay. His reception is good. Like in general, he's really good player, but anything specific you can't pick, like it's wow, it's super that first comes in your mind. But what is great about the Gib that always he managed to bring his partner on such a high level, he always squeezed so maximum out of his uh, partner and as a team, like the same was with Rosenthal. After Rosenthal, when he, Rosenthal played with him, he was best defender in the world. When they split, even with Dahlhauser, Rosenthal couldn't uh, 
play on the same level that he played with Gibb. When Gibb played with Patterson, Patterson was uh, just a regular player, but when he started to play with Gibb, Patterson became one of the best players and started winning medals every second tournament. It was the same with uh, Grab. When uh, Grab brothers playing together, Taylor was just a regular defender, one of uh, maybe fifth best defender in the AVP and uh, just one of the top 20 in, uh, in the world. And when he started to play with the Gibb, he became one, one of the best defenders in the world. So Gibb has managed to bring his partner of, uh, on a high, to squeeze maximum out of his partner. And that was how he's succeeding as a team. So all together, they're becoming really, really good. Couldn't agree more with that. I've said the same before. Like you just see how much of an effect he's had on everybody around him. And I'm making a joke. I'm making a joke. And I'm saying, like, I came to uh, Taylor and I said, Watch, I think that uh, Jake, he's a uh, vampire. He's sucking energy out of his <laughs> partners because when he stopped playing with Rosenthal, Rosenthal almost finished his career. When he stopped playing with Patterson, <laughs> Patterson almost finished his career. So I said, don't stop playing with Jake. You play as maximum as you can. <laughs> because, yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. That's the perfect player, and it is a perfect player as well. Have we we got one more feature for the for the mystery man? We do, we do. We yeah, nearly we, nearly missed it last, this week. The last the last one. Me and Dan think we've we've sussed it, so we're staying away. Oh, you think you know? This is your last feature and your last question on what's been a tremendous podcast, and uh, yeah, it's the mystery man. So here we go. Mystery man. We've had a load of answers. So we know it's a volleyballer, won the Champions League, shoe size 14, right-handed, also won the European Championships, best known for their spike, played for two clubs, born in 1988, but never won a World Championships. Uh, Sergei Tachukin is their idol, born in March, two metres three, won the Olympic gold, um, and from Russia. So this hopefully will seal the deal for many people, including us. Number 15, clue number 15. What position do you play? I'm opposite player. The opposite player for Russia. So I think it's fairly clear now. But we're not going to say the name, just in case you do need to go away and do some Googling. Um, and that, yeah, make sure you comment on the comment section. Make sure you email. If you know who the mystery man is, make sure that you get that through to us. And then, yeah, we, we can't give that big classified information away <laughs> very classified and we are going to announce who the mystery man is but i think i, I hope i've got it matt that, that's for sure i hope you've got it after all that information i think i got it a little a, a few clues ago lion king thank you so much it's been like such a memorable experience to have you on the podcast and thank you for just your knowledge enthusiasm and yeah just I think what I've learned is that you're such a hard worker and you're so open to learning. And I think that's quite inspiring for any of our, of our listeners, just how hard you've worked and how many degrees you've got and how off the court you've got so many opportunities going forward in, in, in life with whatever you do. So good luck when this gets back underway and you can get back on tour and good luck in the qualification. Um, Hopefully we meet on tour soon this yeah, year. I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> I believe that the Olympics is 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 going to be yours, and uh, that the Olympics 
it's going to be a better place for having uh, some oil schmodens there for sure with your new Star game. Matt, thank you very much for your time, knowledge, wisdom, enthusiasm, always. It's, it's been one to, to really remember for me, and it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's been really, really great. To our listeners, make sure you subscribe, tell your friends, suggest guests, and you can even send us the questions that we can use to talk to the world's best and ask some questions from you. Use the hashtag LetVolleyballTalk. And finally, for myself, Louis, let the A Space and see me. Thank you for listening. Are we ready for one last roar from the Lion King? Yeah. <laughs> 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 Thank you very much. Thanks for inviting. <laughs>